Reading from our text tonight from the prophet Micah, we'll look at the sixth chapter. That's Micah chapter six, reading verses six through eight. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Approximately seven months ago, beginning in September, we began in the Daybreak Discovery series to study the book of Genesis. And I think it's been exciting. We started with Creation Week. And it's been quite a, quite a journey because to a good extent, we've actually, since that time, gone through human history, biblical history. We understand that uh, sometime shortly after creation week, there was what we refer to as the fall, the fall of humanity into sin. And it was due to rebellion, uh, defiance to God's law or disobedience and Really, all of the world's problems today can point back to what happened there in the garden. But we know that in Genesis 3, immediately a promise is given of a Savior, one that would come. The first prophecy, we believe, of the Savior coming. Some look in the first verse of Genesis and can find a prophecy when you go real deep into that particular verse. But approximately 1,656 years after creation, we learned that the earth experienced a global flood. And this was a time where all of humanity was so enriched in rebellion and disobedience that it overwhelmed the human race. They thought about evil. They dreamed up evil. They were saturated with evil. It was all-consuming. And God is holy, like we know, And so judgment came. There's actually clear scientific evidence today that we learned that the earth is still undergoing uh, geographic or atmospheric repair because of what happened at the time of the flood many, many years ago. And so we know that the Lord God starts all over with Noah and his family. Let's try again. And it was only 106 years later that humanity was gathered at this tower called Babel, and they were building up to heaven. They wanted to reach up to who they thought or what they thought the gods were, or reach up as high as they could. This was in direct obedience to God. Back in Genesis chapter 1, God had told humanity to spread abroad and to populate the earth. And then the promise is reiterated to Noah in Genesis chapter 9 to go and multiply. And so God had to force this to happen by introducing languages to the earth. 320 years later, a call goes out to a man named Abram. 
God begins to introduce a, a, a special covenant with a specific people. And, and it was even more than that, a specific people and a covenant with a specific land to a specific people. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and finally Joseph. Nearly 2,300 years all in the book of Genesis, we learned. Job was somewhere in that time frame as well. As well, excuse me. 200 years later, Moses, and then the Exodus. And so from creation to Moses, 2,500 years. Then we learned about where the people possessed the land with Joshua. And after that period of time, the time of the judges, which we learned was about 350 years. And many of the judges reigned. They didn't reign. They ruled, we should say, for 40 years. Othniel, Deborah, and Gideon. Well, the people, they cried out. They looked around at the nations or, or the peoples around them that had kings and they said, we want to be like them. And so they cried out for a king. And we have the beginning of the monarchy. A man named Saul, the Bible tells us that he was literally head and shoulders over those uh, of the tribes. And there's differing views on how long that he reigned. And according to Acts 13.21, he reigned for 40 years. And Saul fails to obey the Lord as he should. In 1 Samuel 13, 14. And now thy kingdom shall not continue. Speaking to Saul, the Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be a captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. And because of this, God gives what we know to be the Davidic covenant, a covenant to David. And from that time forward, it's throughout all of scripture, even into the book of Revelation. And King David himself, he reigned for 40 years, 40 seems to be quite often. And then we know that Solomon reigned for 40 years and immediately following the death of Solomon. Sadly, there is civil war. They can't get along. And at that time, the nation of Israel is divided. We have the southern kingdom of Judah, whose capital is Jerusalem, for the sake of David. And we have the northern kingdom referred to as the kingdom of Israel, whose capital was Samaria. And so from creation to the divided kingdom, we understand there to be approximately 300 years. And it's at this time... With the divided kingdom where when we find in our Bibles the minor prophets and the major prophets, it's this period of time. The period of time of Micah. Of course, we know in the scriptures are referred to as major prophets if they wrote a lot and minor if they didn't write so much. But there were two minor prophets that focused on the northern kingdom, Hosea and Amos. We know that Elijah and Elisha did as well, yet they didn't write it down. And there were five minor prophets that focus on the southern kingdom. Joel, who we learned about first when we did our Sunday school lesson. And then Micah, who we've read about tonight. Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and Ob uh, Obadiah. Now, at this time, when the kingdoms were divided, there was a particular kingdom that was sort of the superpower in the earth, and it was Assyria. And a very familiar capital was Nineveh. And Jonah is a prophet that actually prophesied to Nineveh. 
And when they repented, God gives them an additional 100 years. Actually, Nahum prophesied to them as well. And then after the remaining minor prophets or some major prophets, they prophesied when Judah was banished or exiled to Babylon, which ultimately took over the kingdom of Assyria. And then when they returned, we have prophecies as well. Well, what about Micah? We learn that Micah, his name means who is like the Lord or is who is like God. Micah came from a place close to Jerusalem, southwest of Jerusalem. We don't really know a lot about him. If you look at Micah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord that came to Micah, the Morhashthite. That's the place he came from. In the days of Jotham, it's referring to who were the kings of Judah when he prophesied. Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Now remember Hezekiah. He was a king that when was the prophecy came, he actually turned the people back to God. He turned Judah back to God. In fact, Jeremiah refers to Micah as follows in Jeremiah 26, 18. Micah the Merashathite, again, prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and spake to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed like a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountains of the house as the high places of a forest. It, it, it's really putting them on notice if they don't repent. Jeremiah twenty six nineteen. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all of Judah put him at all to death? Did he not fear the Lord and besought the Lord? And the Lord repented him of the evil which he had pronounced against them. God turned and, and forgave when Nineveh repented. He always forgives when true repentance comes. And he did that for Judah as well. And they were not overtaken as the northern kingdom of Israel was. And so we read about Micah speaking to Judah. And as you read through the book of Micah, sometimes he is speaking to the northern kingdom. Sometimes he's speaking to both kingdoms, and sometimes he's speaking to the world over, which includes you and me. In Micah chapter 4, verse 1, so relevant to our day today, Micah 4, 1, But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains. This is yet future. And it shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways. And we will walk in his paths. For the Lord shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. A millennial reign of Jesus Christ on the earth. And he shall judge among many people. And rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. We have heard and we've read and we've listened a lot about war lately. I read that the United States spends close to $800 million per year on defense spending, and the world over spends approximately $2 trillion on defense or military spending. 
Imagine this day that Mike is writing about by way of the Holy Spirit of a day in which all of those resources, all of humanity's resources goes into flowing up to Zion, as the scripture says here, Uh, learning the law of the Lord, learning what it is literally at the feet of Jesus himself. Face to face, this day is coming. Micah also wrote about a baby that would come even before this in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, a very familiar Christmas scripture. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. Speaking about that same ruler that he's talking about in the fourth chapter, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Jesus, uh, he has existed forever. But he would come as a baby, as a boy in a manger. God himself in the flesh. A ruler of Israel that would ultimately rule the world. But if we look now in chapter 6 of our text... Micah really explains that the Lord is putting Judah on notice, Israel on notice. Micah 6, 2, he says, Hear ye, O mountain, the Lord's controversy. This word controversy means that the Lord, he has a complaint, or he's pleading with them, or he's even rebuking them. And ye strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord hath the controversy with his people. God still refers to them as his people. And he will plead with Israel. And the Lord goes on to tell them through Micah about how he delivered them. In fact, he reminds them of Moses and Aaron and Miriam. He even gives them an example of Balaam and his answer to Balak, the king of Moab, confirming the righteousness of God on what happened in that situation. Micah begins to ask, because of this, because of this impending judgment, how do we as a people approach God? What is the right way to approach God? And and really, this is really an age-old question for all of humanity. Every soul the world over at some point in life wonders, how do I make a proper approach to my maker? We're here tonight at church because we want to approach God. We want to approach our creator. We want to approach the one that made us. We want to the one approach the one that sent his son to die for us. Mike is writing, how do we approach the God of the ages? How do we worship a God that is holy? How do we approach a righteous God? And in Micah 6, 6, wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Well, it seemed like a start to them. They knew the law. They knew the requirements. They were well-versed in that, the sacrificial system. In verse 7, he says, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Micah's asking, if, if we bring in an innumerable number of sacrifices, thousands upon thousands of sacrifices, will that do the job? He goes on to say, or ten thousands of rivers of oil, again in verse 7. In Leviticus chapter 2, we read of, of oil mixed with flour 
and in fact mixed with frankincense and how that was a mixture that was brought as a sacrifice before the Lord and it was a savior, savor that went up into heaven if it was done properly, but it had to be done with the right heart. And so he's saying, if there's ten thousands of rivers of oil, will this do the job in our poor approach to God? Well, God in his, in his mercy, he answers in chapter 6, verse 8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee? You know, I don't believe that the Lord's requirements are a mystery. I don't think that the Lord desires for us to try and figure out some hidden formula, some calculation that that we are trying to figure out or study. I don't believe that God wants it to be difficult to approach him. In our lives and in our hearts, when God speaks to us, he leads us and he puts his finger on things in our hearts, even in an unsaved condition. He does that. His requirements are not too difficult. God made you. He made me. He, in his own special way, can speak to you. And he can speak to me and make known his requirements unto us individually. I remember in school, particularly in college, on the first day of class, we wanted to know what the requirements were. Because usually there was a final, a midterm, and then a certain percentage of your grade was homework. And sometimes it was like 40% the final, 40% the midterm, and 20% homework. And sometimes we felt like we were in big trouble when that was the case. 80% of our grade was the two tests. If it was like 33, 33, and 33, that's not too bad. I was reading about, uh, it's well known that one of the most difficult requirements is to become a Navy SEAL. So I looked it up, and according to Business Insider, all SEALs must go through the 24-week basic underwater demolition SEAL school, and then a 28-week SEAL qualification training program. Only 1% of sailors who enter BUDS school complete it. And then that's not the end of training. Training for a first deployment can take as many as 30 months. I wouldn't make it. I don't know about you. But what I feel like the Lord is saying here through his word is that he takes an opposite approach to this. God wants us to approach him. God makes his requirements known Unto you and me. God speaks to his heart. I remember before I was saved that God put things on my heart that he required of me in order to break through and be saved. And he says here, he has showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee. And this, yes, sounds very old New Testament here in the Old Testament. There's another place in Deuteronomy where you find a parallel passage that the Lord gives to the children of Israel. But here he says to do justly, which means to live right, to live righteously, to live in a way that shows the love of Jesus to a dying world. 
and to love mercy, the mercy of God that he, he extends to you and me. He's extended to all of humanity. It's about a right relationship with the Lord in our hearts and, and any heart that comes before the Lord in sincerity and in honesty, that's a way to approach God. And God will show you in that approach. If we come to an altar of prayer or if we pray at home, wherever we might be, when we're truly honest with the Lord, he'll show you what he requires of you. He'll Show me what he requires of me and to walk humbly with thy God. We have to put ourselves down. We have to put self down. We have to put pride down. That's what exalted Satan was that he wanted to be like God. We've learned that in our study of Isaiah recently. We must put pride down. There, there is a way to approach God and he makes it clear when we're seeking for our deeper experiences. He puts his finger on certain consecrations. I want you to stop doing that. I want you to take a break from that. Sometimes we think about fasting that some have done. Sometimes it's just fasting from social media. That might be what it takes in order to receive from the Lord. Sometimes it might be, I remember when I sought for my baptism, fasting from uh, sports for a time because it was getting in the way of my approach to God. And I know we just want to approach God in a way that he hears. And when we do that, God will be faithful to you. God is faithful to us. I believe God speaks to us. I believe God calls us, and I believe there might be some requirements that are, be laid, that are being laid on hearts tonight that only you and the Lord know about. That's how God works. He doesn't make it too complicated. He doesn't want to make it too difficult. He wants a relationship with us. He wants you to be sanctified. He wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He wants you to have a breakthrough prayer service because you fulfilled the requirements that he was laying on your heart and he was laying on my heart. And God will help us to do that. God in his mercy and in his love and in his grace, just as Micah wrote about, is so relevant to us today. What is the Lord requiring of you? Give it to Christ Give it to the Lord. God will help you. He will answer your prayer. The song is 340. Let's come out and pray.